Welcome to the Irish Baseball Podcast, brought to you by the Irish American Baseball Society. If you love Ireland and baseball, you're one of us. Visit us online at irishbaseball.org. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to episode 19 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. I'm Rick Becker and today we will be doing something different. For months, Jim Ward and I have been hosting this show, bringing you interviews and talking about Ireland and baseball. Today, I'm going to conduct an interview with Jim so you can start to get to know us better. After that, John Fitzgerald will bring us a look at some Irish-American baseball history. John is the founder of the Irish-American Baseball Society and the Baseball United Foundation. Now, let me welcome my colleague, Jim Ward. Jim, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Rick. How are you, my friend? I am doing just fine. So we thought, since we've been doing this show for over eight months now, that we've had some really great interviews. We've talked with athletes, coaches, scouts, authors, a whole variety of different people. But at this point, we wanted to let you get to know us, the co-hosts of the Irish Baseball Podcast. So we're going to start... Today, I'm going to be doing an interview with my colleague, Jim Ward, so we're going to talk about a lot of different subjects. First, since this is the Irish Baseball Podcast, let's get into some of your Irish heritage. Sure. And you can elaborate a little bit on the different sides of your family that come from Ireland, how that's impacted your life, and we'll go from there. Well, my family, Rick, is uh, obviously I'm first generation Irish American, uh, grew up in the greater Boston area, just outside of Boston, actually north of Boston, a place called Lynn. Uh, it's probably yeah, maybe 20 minutes north of Boston. Uh, as you know, Boston, big Irish community, uh, lots of family and friends here, uh, moved to Maine. Uh, it has a good uh, base here as well, uh, but not like in Boston and uh, you know, of course, my family being uh, right from Ireland, my dad came over uh, when he was, I think, 18, 19 years old, something like that, and uh, worked in a quarry and then uh, ended up getting on the MBTA, the Mass Bay Transit, and uh, was a bus driver for his career. And uh, before selling the house here, building one, moving back to uh, Ireland into County Kerry, uh, down in the south of Kerry, actually, a place called Port McGee, uh, outside of Carasivine. Uh, near Valencia Island, if some of the fans that are listening that are Star Wars fans, uh, if they have ever seen uh, the end of, I forget which one it is, it's one of the last ones where the Millennium Falcon comes in over the ocean and lands on the rock formation. Well, that's Skellig Michael, and that's just off the coast of Port McGee where my dad lives, and my dad can actually see that rock formation from his house. So for all of the Star Wars fans who are listening, it is from the end of The Force Awakens and the beginning and throughout most of the Last Jedi. Those are the two episodes that feature that island prominently. I didn't mean to interrupt you there, Jim, but uh, I thought <laughs> I would throw in some of my Star Wars knowledge. So keep going. Well, here. what's funny? What's funny is is Mark Hamill when he when he went to film the first one, and when they were there, he actually came into Port McGee, and they stayed and uh, were at the village uh, uh, hotel and pub, and he actually learned how to pour pints uh, in Guinness and stuff. And he was so enamored with the the Irish there in South Kerry that. He learned a bit of Gaelic before he left, and on his last day in Ireland when he was driving to uh, Shannon, he recorded on uh, Twitter or something uh, a, a thank you and a goodbye in Gaelic, and it was really amazing. Then he invited the some of the folks from the village and the uh, 
family that owned the pub to come to the launch of the uh, movie when it debuted in Ireland. So it was a it was a great thrill. I mean, I mean that part of Ireland is so beautiful. Uh, so I didn't mean to interrupt, but go on with some of your Irish heritage and, like I said, especially getting into how it impacts your life on a daily basis. Oh yeah, sure. Uh, well, my father is from Northwest Common. Uh, it's in the west of Ireland, uh, the province of Connacht. And if you want to find us on the map, you would look for Loch Allen. And, and uh, you would see Loch Allen it borders uh, Leitrim and Loch Common. And we're right there in Northwest Common, a place called Arigna. And Arigna is known for the coal mines. And at one point, Arigna would supply the coal for all of Ireland uh, and some of England. It was a great uh, trade uh, value for Ireland to trade coal uh, and heating product. When I was a young kid, maybe could be three or four years old, I remember going back and visiting. I blow my aunts away every time I go back and I tell them this. I say, where my grandfather's house is, he has this big wood door, this oak door. He built the house himself and he put this door, and he made this door by hand. And it's a big, rich red oak door. And I remember when we were younger, waking up with him and early in the morning, he'd be standing at the door and I'd stand there next to him looking out over one of the fields and out over the mountain over by Loch Allen. And grandpa would say to me, he'd say, you know, Jimmy, you know, you know what the weather's going to be today? He said, just look up on that mountain there. A little, if it's not very clear, we're going to have some rain. But if it's clear, we're going to have a great day. And he, nine times out of 10, he was absolutely right. And, and my grandfather was, uh, you know, he was just such a great man. And he, he left such an impression. I mean, like, even when I go back now as an adult, and when I got older, and I, I, every time I stand by that door, one of my first days that I get there, and on that first morning, I wake up, I stand by that door, and I look out, and I always think that he's still there with me. Uh, so he left a massive impression on me. And uh, it came down through my father, of course, and uh, all my aunts and uncles. But there's something special about that place. It really is. And, and uh, I often think about it. So now let's move into the other part of the Irish baseball podcast, and that would be baseball. So let's talk about how that love for baseball sort of entered your life. How did who was the inspiration behind that? And let's just talk about some of those teams that you started following when you were a kid. We can all probably write down the batting order of our first favorite team as it was when we were eight, nine, ten years old. Like we can probably still write it down from memory. So who were some of those teams for you? Well, of course, growing up in Lynn and just north of Boston, obviously the Red Sox were our team. And uh, uh, my dad would get uh, tickets through the uh, his union and the MBTA and the drivers. And the first time I ever got to go to Fenway, and anybody that's been to Fenway has probably had this experience, is when you're walking up the ramp, no matter which ramp it is, to whatever part of the ballpark you're coming into. But when you're coming up that ramp and you just first see a, a glimpse of the top of the outfield and then you see the grass and then the smell and everything comes at you. And then when you're finally up on the mes on that little ramp and you take it all in, it, you're one for life. I mean, it, that's those are the impressions you get. And I remember that. We were sitting, I think we were on the first base side, maybe about half a little bit beyond the first base dugout, but we were up under the over, overhang there. And we came up and I remember going out. First thing I see is the wall and I see the big scoreboard out in center field. And uh, it was just great to see Yaz and Jim Rice and Dewey Evans and all my heroes, uh, Pudge Fisk and all these guys that were, you know, the predominant Red Sox of the 70s and 80s. But yeah, the Red Sox were our team. And uh, 
of course, later on in life, I, I kind of adopted the Braves a bit uh, with Dale Murphy. Even though we couldn't you know, see Atlanta games a lot, but we got them on TV through uh, the Superstation TBS at the time. And Red Sox and the Braves, and for me, it was Dale Murphy and Carly Shremsky and Freddie Lynn and those guys. I mean, those are all the guys that were my heroes. Guys you never read garbage about. You know, they were really great models, uh, heroes for a kid like me growing up. And, you know, I want, I wanted to wear their number. And a lot of times the number wasn't taken, or, but uh, I had to wear whatever. But, you know, one time I got to wear my number eight, so I was pretty happy about that. Yeah, I could imagine at the time when you were trying to pick your Little League numbers and you wanted to get eight in the Boston area, it was slim pickings. <laughs> well, it came down to size of jersey. You know, the, it was funny. I don't know about you, but with me, the one, number one was the smallest jersey and number 15 or whatever was the biggest jersey. So you got the jersey which landed on your size. <laughs> so somehow I always ended up with like a nine or, or some weird number. And as somebody who is now six foot four, I always ended up with whatever the <laughs> biggest number was. Like, I ended up with the jersey that was for the coach. Like, <laughs> but I think we can all relate to going back and remembering those teams that really sparked our love for baseball. As you continue to follow the sport, do you find yourself still being a Red Sox fan or do you just find yourself more following the game? It's such a difficult question because I, I do both. And, I, you know, being able to have the ability, like I said, mentioned earlier, to watch the super stations, PIX, WGN out of Chicago, uh, TBS out of Atlanta. PIX, of course, was out of New York. And, of course, we had the Red Sox on Channel 38 uh, here before Nesson became in, came into play. It was something to be able to watch all these teams and see teams that, you know, initially when I was real young, uh, didn't get to see them until I got older. When I was in middle school, we moved to uh, Bill Ricca, which was uh, about 40 minutes west of Boston uh, when I was going from uh, fifth to sixth grade. So the, my first years leading up to through to and through my fifth grade year, we had, you know, it was like you know, the old dad joke there, you know, if the president was on, your night was shot, all the stations had the president on. Well, that was the case back home. And, you know, but you still had the Red Sox on Channel 38 on WSBK and here in Ned Martin and uh, Bob Montgomery and all, and all those guys. It was just so much fun. So, yeah, the Red Sox were it. And for me, it was those 70, the team, 75, 76, 77, and then 78. We know what happened there. They were the ones that left the mark on my life. And I remember vividly watching the 75 World Series. And not to linger too much on it, but I forget what year it was. If it was, I remember 77 and 78 because the Yankees and the Dodgers. I remember watching every single game of those two World Series. I was enamored with Reggie Jackson and Steve Garvey. Ron Say and Don Sutton and all those, Tommy John, all those guys that played in that series. Chris Chambliss, uh, one of my favorite Yankees, of course, was uh, Thurman Munson, uh, the legendary captain, God rest him. So I know we're focusing on you in this episode and doing more of an interview of you, but I have a funny story from my life or before my life started that has to do with Thurman Munson, as you mentioned him. So my parents met in college. And the very first thing that my parents said to each other was my mom walked up to my dad at a college party and said, you look like Thurman Munson. My father said, thank you. And my mom said, that's not a compliment. And that is how my parents met for the first time. <laughs> 
But I mean, if you're going to be compared to somebody, I mean, isn't there anybody that better to be compared to like than Thurman Munson? I mean, seriously. I mean, yeah, he may not have been the the Derek Jeter of the day, but man, the guy was good. He was legit. So I want to just quickly before we wrap this up, and we may do it a number of times in the future just so that you can get to know us a little better as you continue to listen to the Irish Baseball Podcast. But we are two broadcasters who come into this not only with a passion for our Irish heritage, not only for a passion for baseball, but we like to produce content. So why don't you talk just a little bit about some of your broadcast experience? For the last uh, 22 years in uh... This year will be my 23rd season calling uh, University of Southern Maine uh, men's and women's hockey on the play-by-play side of things. Uh, And the University of Southern Maine has been very good to me for the last 22 years. I've had the opportunity to do baseball, softball, uh, men's and women's basketball. We got to do, uh, actually, a funny story. My first, uh, I'll backtrack a little bit, but I'll come back to it. But when I was growing up, living in uh, Bill Rico, we started an access TV station in town. And uh, me and my buddy started getting involved with it. And we said, well, you know, they wanted content. And so we said, well, the high school football team is pretty good. Why don't we do the high school football games? And the way we did it was we had one camera, one microphone. And what we did was one of us did the first half, one did the second half. One would be on the camera, one would be on the mic. So we would flip. So that's how I got started. And geez, we did it for three years or so. Then my fourth year, I actually ended up doing my high school uh, football games for a season you know life then happens you move things happen some years go by and I ended up moving to, to uh, Maine September October 99 I had gotten laid off at Malden Mills we had a tragic fire there and uh, the place had been rebuilt uh, we had gotten called back and we got laid off you know the, my girlfriend at the time who's now my wife uh, said to me well you know there's jobs up here you don't have to be there you know you're coming up every other weekend why don't you just come up here we'll we'll make it happen so I said okay uh, next thing I know I'm watching the local access TV they had the message board on this thing and there's a one saying how would you like to be in radio I said I can do that I've done access TV you know this way nobody can see me I can be goofy and nobody knows what I look like that this is awesome this is perfect for me it is totally perfect for you by the way (laughs) and so I did that I went in I met with our program director at the time Jessica Lockhart who's now back and we sat down I went through the training I submitted a demo tape I within maybe two weeks I was subbing right away and uh within two or three months I had a regular show on Sunday mornings from three to six thirty and I was playing like everything and anything doing music and whatnot but that that uh season that winter season I actually got my first taste of uh radio broadcasting I was board hopping some of the southern Maine basketball games and next thing you know the guy couldn't do the game for the opening round of the NCAA women's tournament so they said Jim you want to do it and I said I'll go do it so next thing you know I'm my first game ever on radio was University of Southern Maine versus Emmanuel College, women's basketball, NCAA opening round. We ended up losing, but the experience was just unbelievable. And I've been there ever since. And, you know, we went to the final four in 06. We lost to Harden Simmons in the national championship game. You know, just the experiences that I've had uh, meeting all these kids and players and now seeing them come back with their kids uh, and watching them now, getting to follow them now on Facebook. It's just been amazing. And 
I wouldn't give it up. I mean, we were doing it for nothing back in the day. You get a little stipend now. But, you know, if they took it away, it's like, so what? I'm, I'm still having fun doing it. You know, it's as much fun today as it was when I started. And I couldn't imagine doing anything else. And then, of course, this opportunity came along. John, I mentioned, messaged John when I was joining the Irish American Baseball Society and mentioned that I was in broadcasting. He said, well, we're thinking about doing a podcast. Are you, would you be interested in doing that? I says, yeah, I, okay, that's something new. Let's, yeah, let's give that a whirl. That's a challenge. Then I got to meet you, and uh, as they say, the rest has been history for us for the last eight months. And man, I, I mean, it's just been so much fun doing this. Uh, hearing Steve Garvey just recently on a live feed on the website, and and reading about all these legends of of baseball, and the fact that Ireland had baseball back in the fifties. And, and I mean, here's me, a kid that watched Irish sport for years, our hurling and football, and I never knew, and even my family didn't know there was baseball in Ireland where we were. So. You know, learn something new every day. That was my colleague Jim Ward. Every once in a while, we'll take the chance to let you get to know us better in addition to all of the great interviews we have on the horizon. I'm Rick Becker. John Fitzgerald is the founder of the Irish American Baseball Society and the Baseball United Foundation. To be a part of all the incredible things going on with the IABS, visit irishbaseball.org. That's where you can find older episodes of the Irish Baseball Podcast, episodes of The Crack in the Bat on Irish Baseball TV, genealogy of many Irish American baseball legends, and much more content. Head to BaseballUnitedFoundation.org to learn more about the organization's work in teaching youth in Northern Ireland about the game of baseball. This has been a very successful project, and your help could allow us to share the game we love with even more youngsters. Here is John Fitzgerald with some Irish-American baseball history. Thanks, Rick. Dan Brothers was born in 1858 in Sylvan Lake, New York. His parents were Irish immigrants Michael and Annie Bruders. During their early years in America, the Bruders family changed their name several times, eventually settling on the name Brothers, spelled B-R-O-U-T-H-E-R-S. Brothers began his National League career with the Troy Trojans in 1879. The 6'2", 207-pound slugger quickly earned the nickname Big Dan because of his size and skill at the plate. Brothers won the batting title five times and led the league in hits three times. He also led the league twice in home runs, RBIs, and runs. Big Dan ranks fourth among 19th century players with 107 home runs. He also led the National League in slugging percentage eight times, and he led the league in on-base percentage five times. His former teammate John McGraw called Big Dan one of the most powerful batters of all time. McGraw added, Big Dan in his prime against modern pitching and the modern lively ball would have hit as many home runs as anybody. After he retired from Major League Baseball, Brothers continued playing baseball at the minor league level, hitting 415 for the Toronto Maple Leafs of the Eastern League in 1898 at the age of 40. Big Dan also hit 376 at the age of 46 for a team from Poughkeepsie, New York in the Hudson Valley League. After finally hanging up his minor league spikes, Big Dan began working for the New York Giants, where he stayed for two decades. Dan Brothers was elected to the National Baseball Hall of Fame in 1945. He's buried in the small town of Wappingers Falls, New York, where a statue of the baseball legend stands proudly in Veterans Park. To learn more about Irish baseball legends like Big Dan Brothers, visit the Irish American Baseball Society at irishbaseball.org. This has been episode 19 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. For the founder of the Irish American Baseball Society and Baseball United Foundation, John Fitzgerald, and my co-host Jim Ward, I'm Rick Becker. 
And this has been the Irish Baseball Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Irish Baseball Podcast. The Irish Baseball Podcast is a production of the Irish American Baseball Society. Visit us online at irishbaseball.org and connect with us on social media. And remember, there's no place like home.